Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey, what's going on, friends, ladies and gentlemen? I'm Joe McCall. This is a Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hope you're doing well. This is number four of my Deals Gone Bad series. And this is going to be a good one because we're going to be talking with Chris Arnold, who's a wholesaler and kind of a newer wholesaler and has only been doing this really full-time actively since May, which is about five or six months. And he's already got a couple bad deals, but this is awesome. I, I'm actually really excited about this because you're going to learn what goes on in the life of a real wholesaler, right? And even though Chris is new to the business, he's been working with us since May, like I said, and he's been doing deals. He does not let the bad deals slow him down or discourage him. I know it's not fun, but you're going to have deals that fall apart. You're going to have deals that like you think are close to closing. You got, you're already counting your money. You've already spent it in your head and then it falls apart. And what do you do? You're like, oh man, that sucks. Yeah, it does. But the worst thing to do is give up. And so in this series, I'm hoping to inspire you guys to like, maybe this sounds morbid, but it maybe this is realistic. Like you need to expect bad things to happen. <laughs> because not everything is a bed of roses. Not everything is easy. Every single deal is different. You know, so many people want a blueprint. They want, okay, this is how every deal goes exactly the same. It goes from here to here to here to here to here to here. And that's what got me. That's why I struggled so hard when I was getting started. I was an engineer. I went to school. I got degrees, you know, and I loved math. I was good at calculus and I liked it because I like solving problems, right? So you have a math problem, you have one answer, and there's only one way way to get to that answer, right? And that's what you try to learn in engineering school. You have a drawing, you have a building you're trying to build. We were building power plants and you have this set of drawings. It may be this thick, but you have drawings where you know this is a foundation. These are the structural drawings. These are the electrical drawings, the plumbing drawings, the MEP drawings, like you know, and you can kind of see where it's going to go from beginning to end. But with real estate, especially when you're a wholesaler, man, no two deals are the same. Why? Because there's people involved right? You're going to have a deal that you think is awesome. You're excited, but it's actually not a good deal. You're going to have a deal where there's something going on in the title and it's not going to clear or there's in Chris's case, a fire happens. Okay. And so we're going to be talking about these deals gone bad. If you guys are interested in getting the mind maps of my notes for these podcasts, I want to ask you to go check out my mind map. You can get my mind map, which has all my notes. It has the transcripts. It has the links to the videos of the previous episodes, future episodes, get the mind map by texting the word bad to 313131. 31. I don't know why I chose bad. I was in a bad mood. <laughs> but text the word bad to 313131 31, or just go to slash bad. And that will take you to a link where you can get the mind map, get my notes. And again, Chris is the fourth guy I've done this with. I've got about 20 more. And I'm thinking about turning this into a book or some kind of resource that I can give away for free to you guys. And this is free. I'm not charging anything for this. And where you can get the notes. And my biggest goal of this is for you guys to learn from the mistakes of others. Like they said, a smart person learns from their mistakes. A wise person learns from the mistakes of others. And not actually that these people made mistakes, but there's lessons learned in these deals that have gone bad that you can apply to your own business so you don't make the same mistakes. Would that be helpful to you guys at all? Would you be interested in that? If you think this is a good idea and you want me to talk more about this, I want to ask you to do a couple things. Number one, give me a thumbs up. If you're watching this right now on YouTube or Facebook, give me a like, thumbs up, share this, subscribe to my YouTube channel, please. 
and subscribe to the notifications. Subscribe to the podcast. Leave me a review in Apple Podcasts. I'd really appreciate it. And because we're going to be doing more like this. And I release two or three episodes a week. And you can get all my episodes and videos on the YouTubes. And you can go to get them on Facebook as well even. But I'd really like you to download the podcasts because that's where you can listen to them while you're driving around, exercising, working out, playing golf like I do, listening to podcasts. So um, subscribe to the podcast, leave a review. I'd really, really appreciate it. All right. Enough of the chit chat. Let's bring on Chris Arnold. Chris, how are you, my man? I'm good. Thanks, Joe. Man, you're one of the uh, the guys that uh, me and Gavin just love working with because you take massive action. We've been working with you as a client for five or six months now. Is that right? Yes, sir. May. Right after the 30-day challenge, I came on. The first one this year. We, we're doing a new 30-day challenge right now, an accountability group. And I love to see the fire lighting up people that are you know lighting up inside of them because... That's how you do deals. You make offers. There's yeah. nothing else that matters, right? Yes, sir. And, and you've been an offer-making machine. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. That's what it takes. It's the numbers. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's a numbers game. And so Chris posted, like, you've only been doing this five or six months, and you've already got a couple bad deals. Um, <laughs> yeah. you, you, you got, would you, let me just ask you this. This is a dumb question, but have you had more good deals or bad deals? Some more good deals, for sure. Yeah. You know, and that's what you're focused on. But yeah, more good deals than bad. I don't, you know, when you said that, I only had a couple of stories and then so more good than bad for sure. Yeah. And so would you have found the good deals if you weren't willing to work with the bad deals? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, you got to keep digging. So the bad ones come and things happen. And then, you know, luckily we had a few good ones on in title. So those kind of kept us driving forward or kept me driving forward. Like, you know, when you have the bad ones, you also can focus on the good ones coming up. By the way, while you're talking, if I'm looking down, I'm typing notes. Okay, so do you, don't think that I'm rude. And, and this is important because you're, if you're a wholesaler and you're doing a lot of marketing, you're talking to a lot of sellers, you're making a lot of offers, you're going to get deals that fall through. You're going to get deals that fall through escrow or you know, there's some title issues that come up or the seller flakes out and they back out or somebody else tries to make an offer higher than you. And you got to have some thick skin. I heard, I just saw this the other day. It was a picture of a rhinoceros. And this, the caption said, as I choose my friends, not by the color of their skin, but by the thickness of their skin. <laughs> I love that, right? Sure. You have thick skin is your, if you're a wholesaler. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes, sir. All right. So good. Let's talk about some of these deals. And Chris, you had one deal that, well, just tell the story. You were telling it to me before. This is really good. Yeah. So uh, we're doing a virtual market. You know, I'm in Northern California. This market is in Baton Rouge and the owner of this property is in Georgia. So, you know, through a lot of legwork and phone calls, I got a hold of the owner and made the offer, made the wholesale offer, didn't like it. We did a lot of back and forth. He had tenants in the property. It was in a not so great part of town. So his expectations for what he wanted were higher than what where we were at to be profitable. Anyway, fast forward two months later, it took us two months to get that contract in. Because so, you were following up with him, which is yes, following up consistently with you know every conversation back and forth. Also, he didn't he wasn't in a hurry, right? So we just kind of kept up with him. And uh, he finally signed a contract, and then we did, I think he gave us uh, 30 days, so a two-week inspection inspection to get it sold. And right at the end of that two weeks, we had a buy, we had an investor come on and say, okay, I want this property. So we're getting ready to lock up the buyer because we're wholesaling the deal and we're getting that paperwork ready. And this guy calls me that morning and says, so I have a little bit of bad news. And I said, okay. 
And it really depends on what kind of day you're having, so how that hits you. And I'm pretty sure I was just in a let's see what happens kind of mood. So he said, the house caught on fire mm. because I haven't seen it. I don't know the damage. I got to call at two in the morning. I don't know what's going on. And I said, okay. And then I asked all the normal questions, but he answered them and said, you know, I haven't seen it. No one's over there yet. And I said, okay, I can send my guy over there to take pictures so we can all see where it was since we were getting ready to close. And it was bad. I mean, I, if I could share the screen, I, I would have pictures. I had my guy go over there, took pictures. When he came out, he smelled like char. And he mm. said it smelled like that for the rest of the day. So well, let's talk numbers real quick. What did you think the property was worth? What did you have it under contract for? Okay, so it was to us, I think ARV was 60 and it was and it had two it had a garage with the property uh with a, a rental above it and it had a main property both on the same. So, and they both had tenants in them, said the seller at the time. So we ARV'd it, I think around 60 and then we contracted it at 20 425. Okay. I think it worked out to where they, that's where we were at because it had tenants in it and we weren't sure if they were going to stay. And so, you know, we did our job. We locked it up at 2425 and then put it out there to our network. And then finally, in the, in the, the last minutes of our inspection period, we had someone come in at 35. So you had under contract for 25 ish and you were going to sell it for 35. You're going to make a $10,000 Assignment fee. Assignment fee, correct. Were you going to double close on it or assign it? Or you know, we we weren't going to double close on it based on, I mean, with the network that I have there in Baton Rouge, everyone's on the same page with what, you know, we're all doing and trying to accomplish. So, and the seller didn't mind because he was getting his number. He wasn't too concerned about it. So the numbers looked good. Everything felt great. I think the main thing is we had to take so many people through that property and there's tenants in there. So we had 24 to 48 hour notice and we had a landlord that, or a, a management company had to meet us there every single time. And so we probably had six or seven of our partners that we had to bring and walk around the property and they all took pictures and the numbers never made sense to them, mostly because they weren't buying holds. And so we finally got a buy and hold investor that said, yeah, I'll do it. And then you get the call in the morning and he said, it's it caught on fire. Hmm. You know, the tenant was on the porch barbecuing and the kitchen caught on fire. Oh, the whole part of the house is on fire, you know. And so I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if it was salvageable. And so I wanted to be the first one on the scene to take the pictures and get back to him immediately so we could kind of manage that situation and keep right. us in contract. But we did say we're probably not going to be at that same contract point at this anymore. You know, if it's on fire, then that's a whole new type of damage. And we're going to need to get in there and see what it is and how much it's going to cost. And so our 25 number probably is not going to be the number we're at. He's like, I totally understand that. Did he have insurance? He did not. Oh, well, it was one of those, I guess it's kind of the area where he's had it forever. He got steady checks from it for probably 15 or 20 years and hadn't seen the property for that long. I mean, he didn't probably have a mortgage on it. So he didn't really nope. have to have homeowners insurance, did he? He didn't. And so when that happened, he was basically like, make me an offer. And that was on that call. He was like, make me an offer. That tune changed a little later on. But okay. uh, he said, I don't I might be willing to sell it to you for 2000. I was like, I don't know if that's what it's worth. Let's take a look. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where we're at. Yeah. But what's interesting about fires is, you know, in any local area, when a house catches on fire, there are local investors that keep an eye out for that. Ooh. Now this public situation, it was an off-market private deal. Then it became very public. So then he was starting Those to get... Silly wholesalers. 
they they go out and they get the you know there are services out there where you can be notified when there's a fire and they look for those fires so that they can contact the sellers to make an offer to buy their house right all right so then what happened so you know i had my guy go over like i said and he took pictures i called and i got the pictures and i looked through them and then i needed to get with my wholesaler there to say do we have any fire buyers because now our other investor was like nope i don't do and that's just a very black and white yes or no situation. Right. So you have to have these people that specifically uh-huh. do uh, fire. So he called around and said, I don't know, maybe we can do 10 or 15 on it, but I don't know. Let me see the pictures. So I sent him the pictures. He sent them out to our network, got some nibbles pretty quickly within 24 hours. And so we had a number to work with. And so I went back to the owner and said, here's our offer. And I, I think it was 2500 or 3000 or something. Because remember before he said, I'll sell it to you for, you know, nothing. I basically need to get it off my hands. Well, by the time I called him back within 48 hours, he had already had three people calling him to buy it off his hands. And so I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I congratulated him because it was a it was a bad situation. He was about to sell it. We went through that whole process and now it's on fire and he has this thing that he's dealing with. And so I was like, you know, I'm glad you got some other offers, man. It sounds like they're good. So let me know how those pan out. If they don't, we had good rapport too. If they don't, then I will be in contact and, and we'll come behind it and pick it up for you. He's like, yeah. okay. I did stay in contact. He had some liens on it that had to get through clearance through title. And I was just looking at the notes on the account because, you know, in REI Simple, it has all the conversations or the history. Yeah. It showed you everything that happened when we talked on the phone, stuff like that. He was a really nice guy. I'm glad it worked out. He ended up selling it for 15. 15? Yeah, he ended up selling rubble. <laughs> it wasn't livable. I mean, the tenants were going to try and live in there after that, but it was it smelled so bad they couldn't. And I and I think then the city would have gotten involved in, in, and said, you have to tear this house down. Wow. So you lost the deal. Yes, we lost the deal. We lost that one. All but, right. Well, yeah. what what could you have done differently <laughs> to not have lost the deal, do you think? Or was it, was it salvageable? Could you have not have lost it? I think that I had really good rapport with that guy. I mean, he wanted, he waited for me. He waited for me to get back to him. He didn't say yes to the other people. He did tell me when I called him, he had other offers, but was waiting for me to call him back. And so I think rapport was very important in that process. I don't think it was salvageable just based on the fact that we couldn't get paid and make it profitable for us and our group. And so it wasn't a good fit. It was a tough pill to swallow after all that time and all that back and forth. I mean, there's a lot of calls. I mean, leading up to the contract alone. So it was two months till I got a contract. It was a back and forth through email. In fact, that one showed up in my email. The contract did. Oh, really? So we went back and forth for a long time and he was in my follow-up schedule, call him, hey, how's yeah. it going, changing all that. And then I think one, I would have to look back in my, you know, we have the, the counter that you provide us to keep track. And so I have it in there, but I think it just showed up in my email and I said, there's that contract. And so uh, that started that process. So did the uh, buyer actually end up buying it? The buyer did buy it. There was a small title issue. The last time I checked in, it had closed and it was a deal and that guy is on to investors. So You know, it's, it's interesting. A great source of potential leads are other wholesalers' deals. And what I mean by that is um, a lot of wholesalers, especially the newer ones or the ones that maybe aren't experienced, We'll get a property under contract and we'll start marketing the contract. So you want to get on all of their lists, right? Yep. And you should still make offers to that wholesaler on a price that you know you could buy it for, right? Because a lot of times those deals will fall through. 
for and, them. Uh, yeah. There's not enough meat on the bone. And so if you, you know, let's, as an example, the, the wholesaler is advertising this property for 35,000 and you know, you couldn't sell that thing for more than 25,000. So you offer 20. So you got a little $5,000 margin there, right? Well, you just keep on following up with that wholesaler yeah. because that wholesaler is probably going to find out in three, four weeks, I haven't sold this yet, but they've got an offer from you. So now they have a number. They can go back to the seller and say, listen, I'm sorry, we're going to have to cancel this contract or I, I can buy it for 20 or something like that, right? Yeah. So you get your foot in the door, kind of get in waiting in line by because you've already submitted an offer. So even though it's 15 grand or less than what, whatever they were asking for before, you still send an offer to that wholesaler and say, listen, if things fall through and this doesn't work out, let me know because I would be able to buy it at this. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And I've done that specifically. So it's great advice. Well, yeah. And the other thing too is when you see those wholesalers, Mark, advertising those properties, see if you can find out when they're supposed to close by and then yeah. follow up with that seller the day after that. Yeah, when's your inspection period end, or when's it supposed to close? <laughs> you don't want to steal deals from wholesalers. I'm not. That's not what I'm saying. But no, no, I know you want to follow with them and say, "Hey, did it close? If not, great. You know, we have an offer for them." And that's happened a few times. In fact, also when you call a property owner and it's in contract or pending, we still put them in follow up. Yeah. Hey, did you end up selling it? No, we still own it. Or yeah, so, yeah same deal. Well, good, because they probably have other deals they might want to sell. They might become a private investor. They might become a buyer for some of your other deals. Yes, sir. Um, did you have another deal that fell through recently? <laughs> just uh, look at you to two. Well, let's do the a win, right? The, it ends okay. in, a, in a happy story. So I have another property. Um, and again, I used your model automation where I have a wholesale in their market. So I get a contract. I send it to him. He does his job on Dispo. And uh, we did this. We got people. And luckily, this property was vacant. And I don't know if there was a door, but people could just walk in. And so we were able to say, hey, if you want to go see it, drive by, take a look. So it was really easy access. Yeah. And by the time people go and then no one made offers, then we finally, just almost outside of the inspection period, we got someone that said yes. Pay your price, sign a contract, in title. Awesome. I'm counting the money already, right? It's in title, which you shouldn't do because you still have 10 days of title work and all that stuff. Right? Sure, yeah, yeah. I was excited because it was it was actually one of my one of my first deals. And so I was pretty excited about it. And then they went and looked at the property with their contractor a second time and said, those numbers aren't going to work for me. Here's where I'm at. And it was below our number that we yeah. had that. And so in title, already counting the money, it was done. And so he canceled his contract. And then my wholesaler exhausted his network there in the market. Luckily, when I first came on with you guys, you were like, go find some buyers in the market. So I had a handful of my own buyers. I sent out a text real quick. My buyer went out and took a look at it and said, hey, I'm interested. Let's do the contract. So we did a contract. She goes to put the deposit down at title and drove by the property again, just to double check. And she said, I can't, I can't do it at that number. And then she ghosts me. Oh, so we're already in contract. She ghosts me for at least a week. And so I'm sweating. I only have a few days left on inspection again. And so I just called her and said, hey, what do you need it to be at? And so uh, I made $1,000 on that deal. Yeah. <laughs> but it helped the owner out who um, wasn't able to leave their house. They're older and she had some grandbabies. I know every time I called, she had some grandbabies in the background. So it helped her. She needed out of the property. She wasn't living in it. And it, and it helped the investor. And I followed up with that investor a little bit later and she sold it to another investor. So, okay. so she was able to make a little bit of a profit, but it fell out twice. And then I, when I finally got a hold of her a week later, I said, well, what's it going to take? Like, just, you just tell oh. me. 
That is such a good question. I'm going to write that down here in my notes. What's it going to take? That's a question you ask sellers and buyers, isn't it? Yep. What's it going to take? What do you you want? And, And oftentimes it's a ridiculous number, but you know, and it was, and she went really low and I said, I can't do that, but I can do this. And then she ghosted me for a little bit longer and then said, okay. And then she dropped the money off the title. She dropped the, it's like a thousand dollar deposit or something. But you know, man, you made a thousand dollars on that deal. Yeah. That's not bad. That's great. My smallest deal was $234. I think it might've been 300 and something, but it was two or $300 on a deal. But you know what? I I kept my word to the seller, right? And I closed on the deal and it could have gone a lot worse where, you know, the seller could have been real upset that I walked away. And, but it was definitely, I put a lot more time into it than two or $300, but yeah, that's so important. In fact, I'm going to write this down another, keep your word to the seller. That's what I'm going to is making sure that I honored my commitment to the seller, which was to purchase the property. Oh yeah. It sure beats it's gonna sound vulgar. It beats a, a kick in the nuts, right? Like <laughs> a, a poke in the eye. A poke in the eye? Okay. I always <laughs> yeah. say it's better than a poke in the eye, my wife laughs <laughs> as wife's do. So. All right, all right. So what would you would, would you have done anything different on that deal? On that one, you know, our margins were very low to begin with. And so I if you look at the conversation, I went in too high from the get-go with the owner. And had I gone in lower, it would have been easier to salvage probably the first first buyer. And so just because our margins were so thin, I think they were 3,500, they ended up being very th- like 24 to 21 is where we were. And uh, and that's not what we went in thinking that's what it would be. Um, we always plan for 15 to 20 and then it gets whittled down greatly like, to, to end on 10. So I would say make sure you do the best you can on your numbers before you get a contract. And now I have a thing in place when someone says, I'm interested in your offer. We go back and rerun numbers to make sure that before we sign that everything looks as good as it can look right now. I'm writing this down. Double check your numbers after the seller accepts before you sign the contract. Very good. What were some of your biggest takeaways or lessons learned from these two deals, Chris? I think um, the biggest takeaways while I was going through them was it was tough emotionally because it really was my first month. And so having them after, you know, you think signing the contract is like the climax of the process. It is not. <laughs> it's, the yeah. it's the beginning. And, and it was a learning curve for me, but it was tough. But because I had a few other deals turning, even if I would have had one more turning, I always felt good about that. You know what I mean? And that's from making the offers every day yeah. where I have a pipeline now. But if I didn't, it would be a little bit harder. It just pushed me harder though. That's so cool because if you're counting all of your, if you're just counting on that one deal to close and it doesn't, oh, it's you, don't have, you don't have anything else. And that's, this is why it's marketing is so important, isn't it? Because you've got to keep that pipeline full of leads. Um, Cause sometimes you might get a deal under contract, but you don't actually sell it for another three months. Something yeah, title. So, you know, what, what are you going to do during that three months? Well, you got to keep that marketing pipeline full of leads. One of the things, the problems that I had early on when I was getting started was I would get, I'd do a bunch of marketing, get real busy, start working with a bunch of sellers and then stop my marketing and get these, some deals under contract and then sell them. And then two months later, I get some money. I'm excited. And I turn around and there's no new leads coming in. That's it. Yeah. And I realized like, shoot, that's not going to work out because I go from making good money to like hungry and freaking out. And like, I 
need some money. And that's this vicious up and down cycle. And marketing is not like a little light switch that you can turn off and on. It takes time to build the momentum of the leads coming in, doesn't it? It does. And you had a saying, because I started listening to you in 2014, you said, in, is it in spite of me or something? Oh, yeah. Because you'd had those peaks and valleys and then you figured out you needed someone to do it for you. And that's where you had your VAs and stuff to continue the marketing. I'm writing that down right now in the, in the mind map, which you all should get. You should get my notes here of these lessons learned in the mind map. Text the word bad to 313131 31 31 or go to joemccall.com slash bad. But marketing, momentum, you got to get someone else to do the marketing for you in spite of you. And that way you don't have to worry about the pipeline being filled with leads because it's just coming in. And the cool thing about that too is now when you've got a bunch of leads coming in, you're you're not trying to qualify each lead that comes in and trying to turn a non-deal into a deal. You're not becoming a motivated buyer. Now your job, because you got so many leads, your job is disqualifying the leads that are coming in. Yep. And you're not chasing sellers, right? Because the harder you chase sellers, the faster they'll run when you're desperate and you need a deal. But you've got a lot of leads coming in. It gives you more positioning. It gives you better positioning, more control. Cool. Chris, one more question. What, what advice would you give to somebody listening to this? Maybe a new beginning investor who is trying to do some wholesaling, trying to do some deals. I think you have to be consistently making offers so that if you have a deal go south, you have other deals coming in into your pipeline. Um, you really have to consistently make offers on a regular basis, whether that's one a day or 10 a day, whatever that number. Because even now, when I look in my pipeline, I, I think I had two drop recently, but I had two more that were moving. Yeah. And so it's that, uh. <laughs> so, yeah. it was like a, so my recommendation is keep that pipeline full consistently, no matter what. Because then even if you have a bad day, tomorrow is a different day. That's so awesome. Man, I'm so happy and proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. Get it. Chris gets it. <laughs> you and Gavin, you guys are great coaches. You guys are great. Good content. Oh, I always, man, want to I, say, I always want to say when I came on, long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the crazy thing, guys. Like, I hope you are picking up what we're laying down here, right? Like, if I had a mic, I would drop it um, <laughs> because, like, man, this is good stuff. If you guys can understand this, listen to it and figure and just like rewind this, listen to this, watch this again because so many good gold nuggets here in what we're sharing, what Chris is saying here, that this will save you tons of heartache and pain and tears and suffering. And if you just learn the importance of consistently making offers. Cool. So I'm going to manage, I mean, I'm just going to review some of my notes here real quick, and then we'll wrap this up. Uh, some of the lessons learned from this, I think this is so important. You got to manage the deal. You got to stay in control. And you did a real good job, Chris, of communicating with the sellers, with your buyers, managing the deal, not just trusting them to take care of it, like staying on top of it, mm -hmm. doing the follow-up, calling, and not being afraid to pick up the phone, and not burying your, your head in the sand either when there's a problem like a fire happening, right? And, and managing the deal, staying in control. You got to have backup buyers, which I heard you say a couple of times, you always need to be marketing for buyers. And because if one buyer flakes out, you got another one. Don't put all your eggs in one basket in terms of, and we just talked about this, uh, in terms of deals. Like you're not just hoping that you make money from this one deal because it may not happen. Follow up, follow up, follow up important. It's important to build good rapport with the sellers. Always be marketing for buyers. And I love the question, what's it going to take, right? When you're talking to sellers and buyers, what's it going to take to make this happen? The other thing is keep your word 
to the seller. Keep your word to the seller. If you say you're going to buy it, do whatever you can to buy it. Double check your numbers after the seller accepts your offer before you sign the contract to make sure it's looking good. Talk about marketing and momentum, getting the marketing done for you in spite of you and consistently make offers. Always make offers on a regular business. If there's one KPI, the most important number to track, in my opinion, is the number of offers that you're making. Hopefully my you guys can still hear me and see me. My video looks like it's lagging, but uh, make offers. That's the most important metric in your business. How many offers have you made in the last day or the last week? Cool. Chris, anything else you want to say? I just, you know, do uh, listen to Joe, listen to Gavin, whoever you're working with directly, because every single thing they're saying works, but you got to do it. You got to work it. You got to pick up the phone. You got to make the offers. It is scary, but do it anyway. <laughs> That's it what I think. It's totally worth it, especially when you get a good pipeline going. It doesn't happen maybe week one, week two, but, you know, I think in week three, I started feeling it. I feel the momentum. People are like, you know, you're getting to know the realtors, the wholesalers. It's a whole new ballgame. You want people to know who you are in that market. So thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate the kind words, Chris. And if you are working or interested in working with me and Gavin, go to coachjoe.net, coachjoe.net. Check it out. It's a little, it'll take you to a page. You fill out a little survey. Let us know who you are, what your goals are. We'll get on the phone and talk with you. You'll work with me and Gavin and we'll talk and see if we are a good fit. So cool. Chris, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, are you on Instagram or Facebook or you just maybe don't want people to reach you? It's okay to say that. Uh, they could send me an email. I mean, okay. I have a, for our property company, it's cash offers at cj.properties. Cash offers at cj.properties.com. Cool. No dot, com. no dot com. I know it looks weird when you type it in, but they're doing, it's just properties. That's the, oh, the com. Yeah. So it's cj.properties. So it's cash offers with an S at cj.properties. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Okay. Cash offers at cj.properties. Love it. Okay, cool. We got a couple questions here real quick while people were um, listening. Is that all right? I, yeah, I, I know absolutely. we're a little bit over. I told you what we'd be at, but Eric, I can asking, out with you, Joe. Oh, thanks, man. Now, how do you determine estimated repairs? When you're on the phone with the seller, you know, thousand miles away, how do you determine repairs? What do you do? So this would be your initial call when you're asking them the condition of the property, if they've done any renovation stuff like that. And it's just going to go from very little, which is $5 a square foot. That's what we use to $35 a square foot, which is a total redo. So it's your notes. It's the information you gather when you're talking to them about the condition, determining their time frame and their motivation. So that's where you get that. And you can, you got to guess you know, before you get in there. One of the things I like to do is a guessing game, but I just round up to the nearest 5,000 or something, right? You know, you in, in most of the areas that we're doing wholesaling in, it's it, you're looking at 5, 10, 15, 20 grand for repairs sometimes, right? Or you can do $5, $10 a square foot, 20 bucks a square foot. In my courses, I do give a different sheet that you, like if you wanted to have somebody go inspect the property, there you could give them a simple sheet that they can put on a clipboard and check off things and they can get ref, uh, estimated for, for repairs. There's also REI Simple or Freedom Soft as a estimating tool for repairs that you can use, but don't complicate it. And sometimes you just don't know until you get a buyer to go look at the house and tell you what it's going to be. My man, Todd Toback is watching. I'm, Todd Toback and I go way back. He was one of my original coaches and uh, awesome. super smart guy out of San Diego. What's up, Todd? Thanks for giving me a comment, some love and cool. All right, Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to be here. I really appreciate it. It's been really, really good. I hope you guys are paying attention. There's some really, really valuable lessons here. Um, we'll talk to you soon, Chris. Take care, man. I appreciate you. Thanks, Joe. We'll see you all later. Bye-bye.